Hello, welcome to Casting Nets Podcast. I am one of your not-so-distinguished hosts, hosts by the name of Bell Rover. My other host, Reverend William Harley, is with me. Uh, we just would like to, our discussion today really has me enthused, you know, and I just can't help, if it wouldn't have violated copyright, I would have really have liked to have our introduction be Warren Zavon's tune, Werewolves of London. I think it would have been very appropriate for our discussion today, and you will soon find out why. But I would like you to, to hear a few tiny words of wisdom from my co-host. First of all, before we start this show, when when right before you hit uh, record, uh, when when your co-host uh, cracks open a can of something that he doesn't like to show on the screen, you can tell the show is going to be going in the right direction. <laughs> so, so we'll we'll keep it at that. Um, as we we join into the show, these views and opinions are just our own. I mean, these are rambling thoughts as we we approach the text and we have this conversation. Uh, we do try to uphold the doctrines that we hold dear, uh, but they are not the views and opinions of our call church bodies or the or the synod in which we are a part. And uh, if you don't like what we have to say, please turn us off and tune in at another time when I'm sure we'll say something that you approve of. And uh, otherwise, you know, contact don't us. And, well, yeah, yeah that's breath. true. Don't hold your breath and because, and, you know, that's never good. And uh, um, if you do like what we have to say, by all means, contact us and uh, uh, encourage us in what we're doing as as we bring you some of God's truth and uh, enjoy having these conversations with you and and together. So, uh, anything else, Ben Rover uh, or Bell Rover? <laughs> uh, I'm just I'm just excited to discuss. This is really an interesting, really interesting section of the Book of Daniel, and so I'm just really uh, I'm just really eager to 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 banter back and forth about this. All right, well, here we go. All right, so Daniel chapter 4 is where we're at, and um, for those of you who are just tuning in or have been following us, we have been having a conversation on, so far, almost every chapter of the book of Daniel. Uh, We started in chapter 1, of course, and we've gone to chapter 2 and 3, and now we're in chapter 4. We are done with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They are... They are gone and outside of the the purview of our study for the rest of the book of Daniel, not because they're not important, but because the Holy Spirit didn't choose to preserve the rest of their life for us. And so now we are we are uh, uh, focusing on on the testimony, would you say, a, a declaration, an edict of uh, Nebuchadnezzar um, written in Aramaic and um, yeah, that's that's where we're at. And uh, why don't you start us in? Let, let, why don't you uh, refresh us uh, um, with what Dan, with with what Daniel four deals with? Okay. Well, Daniel four. Uh, well, we'll start off with with let's let's start off with the first three three verses there. Um, gives us a, a kind of a good inf- intro to what's going to be coming up before we get into the narrative part of what Nebuchadnezzar is going to have to say. So. What we have here in this very first section is is an edict that's going out to all the peoples, all the nations, and all languages. So 
what we have in the scriptures is something that is translated uh, from Aramaic into into really uh, Hebrew and, and into English for us. But it's really a translation that was probably sent out in all of uh, the known languages at the time. So it would have been Chaldean, um, it would have been Aramaic, it would have been um, maybe even Hebrew, uh, depending on, on on how they thought the Hebrew nation would have responded. Um, this is this is it's going out to all these people and all these races. Um, and what happens is is you have a statement that kind of is counter to everything we've heard from Nebuchadnezzar thus far. And, and he starts, and I'll just, I'll just read it from the EHV. It says, uh, the quote from him, after seeing signs and wonders, right, from the Most High God, he says, how great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion extends from generation to generation. And that's kind of the introduction to the narrative. And as beautiful words as those are, it's not a statement of faith. Not even close. I, it's, uh, it is a statement of truth. It is a statement of revealed knowledge. Um, and I think that sets the tone for the rest of chapter four. And, and, and that's a good, ex- and actually it's a really good conversation to have because um, let, let, we bring it down to brass tacks. How many, how many times in the world in which we live today um, I have heard said by other people, but they at least believe in God? They at least acknowledge God. And and this is, I think this is an exact image of that seen in Scripture from the, the horse's mouth, <laughs> cow's mouth, so to speak. <laughs> we'll get into that later. Um, but but from, the, from the very mouth of a person who was not a believer, disavowed any faith, but yet still was brought to the knowledge that, that that there is a God in heaven who is above everything else and who is has all power and authority and can do whatever he wants because that is who he is. And when he wants to do something, that's what he will do. Um, that's not a statement of faith as much as it is a statement of reality. You know, where confusion comes with from people with this, and, and, and I'm not saying that this is an unwarranted confusion, they look at something like this. Look at what we just saw in chapter three with uh, the three men in the fiery furnace, the miraculous deliverance, and people say, "How can how could this not be a statement of faith from Nebuchadnezzar? How how could this not be a wonderful thing?" Listen to his words. He was affected. Well, let's look at it this way too. That doesn't necessarily mean that this was that he had a healthy knowledge in relationship with God. He just happened to see his power. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that even that the devil acknowledges all these things, but he doesn't believe. Would, would you would you think and, it's a would you think it's a safe and sorry to interrupt, but do you think it would be a safe comment to say that signs and wonders don't change hearts? Yes. Yeah, they don't. I mean, look at this, because I, I was just going to get to that. Um, you look at uh, the high priests and the Pharisees with Jesus, okay? Uh, th- this, is, this is documented fact that after Je- the Bible tells us that after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to some of those very same people that put him to death. And they did not come to faith even seeing him alive. Yeah, or or and I was just looking this up here as you were as you were talking, and and I'm thinking to myself, um, how true is this 
in the sense of Paul's words to the Corinthians and you know very first chapter of first Corinthians right uh, where where um, uh, Paul writes in verse 22 yes Jews ask for signs Greeks desire wisdom right they ask for signs they desire wisdom but what is being taught verse 23 we preach Christ crucified an offense to Jews foolishness to Greeks right um, yep. Why is it so so much of an offense and foolishness? Signs and wonders, signs and wonders. Ah, Christ crucified, not not cool. Look at the look at the Jesus feeding the feeding the five thousand. Those people saw um, those people saw a wondrous miracle, um, and then okay, they they wanted to turn. They didn't. After seeing all that, they thought it was great. They wanted to follow Jesus. But when they found out he wasn't going to be the king that he wanted to, a bread king, they wanted nothing to do with him. Absolutely. Or, or you could even go back to to um, any of the lessons we've been dealing with in the book of Mark here in the liturgy, um, in, in the lectionary so far. Uh, Jesus is healing. Jesus is healing. Jesus is casting out demons. People are like, yes, this is the... This is this great healer, right? Um, almost to the point where you're thinking they're foregoing the knowledge or the, the the message that he's bringing as he's healing. He's healing and bringing the message of salvation and forgiveness and saying, I can forgive sins. And so you know that I can forgive sins. I'm going to heal. I'm going to heal you. Um, because if I have the power to do that, I have the power to do the other. And they're like, nope, eh, we'll forget about that. And we're just going to talk about uh, the healing, healing, healing. And, and so I, I view Nebuchadnezzar that way. Let me make God into my own image. Absolutely, and and I view I, I kind of view um, Nebuchadnezzar this way in these very first uh, verses. I view him as as stating uh, the fact of reality that says there is something far bigger than me, something far bigger than what I thought I knew, and I'm acknowledging that. But that's not an acknowledgement of faith, like you said. That is not a that is not a statement of of belief. It is not a statement that we should take comfort in. And when you hear your friend or your loved one say those same things, but I believe in God, that is not one of those, oh, good, thank you. That's all I wanted. Let's walk away. That That's, I'm sorry, that's not what we're looking for. Or it's like uh, when somebody says, uh, oh, we're, a, the United States is a Christian nation. Uh, no, we're not. Well, yes, look, it, it says in God we trust on our on our coinage. Yeah, I always um, like to say, which what God, one? What, what God are they talking about? Well, you know what God they're talking about. Well, no, I don't. I mean, you know, we. this is one of the things that has always been a hallmark in Christianity. Words mean something. Um, and so we, we, we tend, some people think of oh, this is crazy, but the more specific we are with the word, with our words, the less confusion there will be. And I, I've heard this comment, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce off of of what you've been saying there. Um, and I heard this comment in in connection with hymns that are supposed to be going into the new into the new hymnals and the hymns that you might want to sing in church. And I thought it's a great comment. So, and I think it fits here. Uh, Christ implied is Christ denied. I like that quote. I agree. I agree a hundred percent with that. Absolutely. And, and so if you say, well, in God we trust, you know, my first thought is, which one? Because you weren't specific. Um, and, 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 and if you're, and, and even in confirmation class, 
right? Um, our kids, the, 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 the textbook answer of God. No, be specific. Be specific. Yep. And how many times, maybe you've had it in ministry too. Maybe you've had it in ministry too, where people have people come up to you and say, why do we focus so much on Jesus? Why don't we talk about the Holy Spirit or why don't we talk about God the Father the most? And and I found myself saying, God the Father points to Jesus. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. The Holy Spirit points back to Jesus. This is what Jesus has done for you, reminding you of everything that he has done and accomplished. I'm pretty certain I'm following in bigger shoes when I say our focus is supposed to be on Jesus? You know, my daughter with just different things, she will be talking and then she'll go, well, you know what I, you know what I mean. And I'll go, no, I don't. Then she'll go, well, you should know what I mean. And I said, no, my darling, I am not a mind reader. And I said, you being uh, an aspiring author and novelist, I said, you should know better than anybody else about being specific with your words. And and then she go, then she'll throw out me, well, doesn't the eighth commandment say to put the best construction on, or, you know, to take words and actions in the kindest possible way? And I said, yes, but that still doesn't remove doubt. Well, and it also doesn't remove the fact that if you don't say any words, yep. I can't, I can't put that into best construction. And, and forgive me, female listeners. I told my daughter, you don't have to act like the typical female expecting me to be a mind reader. I had a professor actually, and it's one that you did not like, but, but I, 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 he stood up for me in a time that I needed it, but he used to say in class, he'd walk in and I had him for, for the gospels and we were, we would translate the gospels and he would say, he'd walk into class and the first thing he would say, he'd put down his book and he'd say, tell me what I'm thinking. And it drove us nuts because that was what it was. It was try to be a mind reader. Um, we're not trying to be a mind reader of Nebuchadnezzar. We got way off topic on that one. Um, we're not trying to be a mind reader of Nebuchadnezzar, but we're stating the fact that there is no connection to God's mercy in, in, in what he's saying. This is strictly God's law. This is revealed knowledge of, of, of what God shares with us in, in the world around and in what he is capable of doing by his power. It is knowledge of God. It is not saving knowledge of God. Yes, Right. And, and so uh, take that in mind as we walk our way through chapter four, um, further into chapter four, realize that what we are going to, uh, what we're going to come to is, is yes, an assessment, God exists and he is great, but it is not God exists and he is my savior and I am saved because of him. All right. So, um, oh, maybe uh, before we... <laughs> Before we jump in, uh, do you think there uh, our our listeners would want to hear uh, any of the the people who don't like the scriptures and how they contest that this is too Jewish? That even though it's written in Aramaic, that it seems too Jewish um, for for people who who might be from a um, a non-Semitic culture, or should we just bypass that and go right on into the narrative? Let's go into the narrative. I you know. It, it's inter- It's an interesting topic, but my opinion is is that I don't think our listeners are going to, that that's something that's going to intrigue them. All right. Well, then let's jump into the narrative. So now we have a personal quote from Nebuchadnezzar. He is going to tell his story. This is a little bit of an autobiography. And um, why, not, why don't you give us some of the, some of the lead up? Okay. Uh, let's 
what's uh what's really interesting here again is i look at uh um uh once again you have here god you know god the one god reaching out he's you know nebuchadnezzar not only has a, a prophet at his disposal with daniel which god is here is again going to bring in and and, and use him again um, but uh, God speaking and God reaching out. Uh, here you have Nebuchadnezzar. He's a powerful man. Um, he's he's doing, God is using him, yet he's godless and God is reaching out to him. And so once again, here you have a dream. A dream that, uh, that uh, uh, troubles Nebuchadnezzar once again. We've already been through this with him once before and we see some differences in his reaction okay if you remember the first dream that he had he gathers all his wise men and interpreters around him uh and then says okay if you can't tell me this dream the meaning of this dream you're dead okay now tell me well what's the dream well i'm not going to tell you that and and all this stuff started now nebuchadnezzar gathers them all around and tells them his dream um and uh and, and takes a different approach do you have any comments about that i do and and actually i want to backtrack just a little bit and and i want to build off some of your uh, some of your comments how god is reaching out to nebuchadnezzar and and you know what as i was reading and and preparing and i've been reading through daniel this is not the first time i have read through daniel um but i i started to really start to think on those lines um how to me it's amazing how many times god reaches out to nebuchadnezzar you know um, I mean, twice now he's had a dream um, that that has been influential in 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 showing what the world is going to look like, what his world is going to look like. He's had opportunities to see God's strength and, and God's preservation at work for his people, um, you know, at least twice so far, if not more in, in the management. I mean, he's going to make a confession here of, of how gifted Daniel is. And and I kind of wonder, and I'm gonna. It, it, there's maybe no proof to this, but I wonder if God does this because we don't see Him doing this for anybody else in Scripture to this extent. Maybe to except for Joseph, maybe and, and Pharaoh, um, back in Genesis. But but maybe the question is, does God do this because Nebuchadnezzar is so connected to the preservation of his own people, of God's people? And and so God is making it very known. You better not overstep what you're doing to my people. You know, sort of like a, a Satan and Job conversation, or a Satan and God conversation in the Book of Job. You can go this far, but you can't go any further. And and God is also just reminding Nebuchadnezzar at every step of the way, the people that you thought you conquered, really, you haven't done anything. You're holding them for me until I bring them back. So watch what you're doing. And, yep, you know, I, th I think this is a law and gospel situation, isn't it? There you've got more of the the law side, yet at the same time, I, I come and think it, at this side with the gospel, where I, I, I think of scripture passages that you find in the Old and New Testament, um, that God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Um, the New Testament says it a little bit, a little bit more. God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This comes out with God. I mean, where God, where God, the Holy Spirit works equally hard 
on every single human being. Yeah, and I agree. And and I I, I like that gospel focus. It, and it's and it's both. It's both. You know what? Because God is and I I see your point here and I agree with you because God in the same way he's reaching out to Nebuchadnezzar here. Nebuchadnezzar here is not seeing, trusting, or appreciating the grace. And so God's given him a little bit here, like we like we will do to our beloved children, the teeny tiny loving cuff to the back of the head and say here, you know, focus here, focus here, see this. And and Nebuchadnezzar is too dense, is too dense to see it. Yeah, and yeah, and I agree with that. And and I just like I said, I, I wonder, you know, I wonder if we are um, limiting, and I'm not saying we're limiting God. I wonder if we're limiting the scope and, and saying, you know, maybe there's a lot more repetition and a lot more. I mean, you look at the arrogance of Nebuchadnezzar, and, and, and it shouldn't be surprising. I understand that. But, I mean, he, he really highlights his triumph over the people of Israel. I mean, that's like a big thing. And I wonder if there was more information on on his thought of saying, you know, the people of Israel, the God of Israel, everyone was afraid of them. Look at me, look at me. I've conquered them. How great am I? And God now steps in and he's and through all these different things, he's giving them, yes, gospel, which is repent and, and recognize who I am and what I do, but also the warning, I let you do this because I am God. And don't go too far. Yes, and you have to look at too. It this is not uncommon with emperors, kings, regents of this time. They look at themselves as divine, and right. and uh, um, you know, with what we're going to see here too. I, I think I, I say you're absolutely correct because talk about somebody here who Nebuchadnezzar is dealing with ultimate arrogancy, and God brings him down. To the lowest, of, I mean, for, as a, as a bystander looking, how much lower can you get than what's going to come? Right, right. Or I mean, in, for somebody in Nebuchadnezzar's shoes. Well, and and not just Nebuchadnezzar's shoes, anybody's shoes. I, I don't think you could get any lower. But especially an arrogant emperor who considers himself to be divine. Right. Well, um, I, and and let's get to that point. But to to answer your question as well, um, about the 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 wise men being called in, because you had mentioned the question, do I have any comments on that? And I and I think there is two comments that that need to be questioned. The first is uh, the first test that we had in the first dream was, um, here all the wise men, God, um, uh, who who are my gods, right? Um, they're they're spokesmen for my gods. Tell me the dream interpret the dream for me, and you'll live. They can't do it. His gods failed. Um, it almost seems like he's doing a second round. Um, I'm giving you a second opportunity. I'm even going to give you more information. I'll tell you the dream. Now you would interpret it to me. Um, and and I think it's interesting that David or uh, Daniel is not, not called in right away. Um, almost like, okay, I'm giving my gods, my false gods, which we know to be false gods, a second chance and they fail again. That's kind of a neat thing um, that that you see this repeating theme, and that shows and that shows Nebuchadnezzar's stubbornness and unbelief. Yet, oh, absolutely. Despite everything that he's been shown, it's like ah, now you know this 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 just can't be. Once again, I'm going to try I'm going to try to prove that my side's right. 
Well, and and also not only his stubbornness, but his his unwillingness to realize that he already knows Daniel can do it. That's and that's the thing that I I find to be so amazing. He already knows that um that Daniel can do it, and so I'm going to cut Daniel out of it because the sinful nature. It's like with our children. Yeah, um, they don't. You know what? They know they know that they should come to us, but they don't because they know what they're going to hear, and they don't want to hear it. Right, right, exactly. And and that's and I and I think that's what you're going to be seeing here. You see, um, Nebuchadnezzar is very much looking at this and and saying, "Okay, I'm going to give you a second or third or fourth chance. Prove me wrong. They can't." Daniel comes in. He says, "All right, Daniel, I I I can recognize." And I I like how he says it. He brings him in. Uh, he highlights Daniel's name, right? He highlights Daniel's name. Belshazzar, the name of my God and the spirit of a holy God's dwell, right? Of the holy God's dwells in him. So he recognizes that Daniel is different. And he recognizes Daniel has a gift. And um, he recognizes that, that okay, now we're going to get some answers. So now we hear we hear the the, the vision. And, and I'll... I'll let me just take the vision because the exciting part's coming up and I want to give you opportunity to comment on the exciting part. Um, <clears throat> so the vision that he sees is of this tree, right? And it's reaching, it's beautiful tree. It's, it's got abundant fruit. It is growing really tall and it is, um, it's reaching its way to heaven and it, and it's sort of giving a, a, a wonderful opportunity for all to, to live underneath it in peace. And all these other, and it's sort of you get all these animals, all these other kingdoms that are are under under his banner. And then we have this new entity that comes in that that we've never heard, at least in the scriptures, it's never been referred to before. And I I believe it's only referred to to this uh, these these beings are only referred in this way in the book of Daniel. But we have the watchers, right? The watcher comes. Um, um, maybe uh, Hebrew, the the wakeful ones, the 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 alert ones, right? Um, we know them to be angels. I think we can sort of see that from the context that they're angels. Uh, but you got these watchers that come, and uh, this watcher that comes says, "Cut down the tree, right? Cut it down," um, and and it falls, and all the animals flee, and the beauty is gone. And then he does something weird. He takes the the uh, stump of that tree and uh, he binds it in iron and bronze with like a ring around it. Um, and, and, and I'm going to leave that open to you for interpretation if, if you want to tackle that. Um, but he, he kind of says that, and then he gives this ominous switch in character because he talks about the tree, the tree, the tree. And then he says, uh, let its mind be changed. So now we're getting an idea that, that this tree is not just, a uh, um, a tree that this is maybe a person, right? Let the mind be changed and, and let it become more like an animal and, and let it go for seven times uh, to pass it over, pass it over seven times. And so, um, and then you have the proclamation. That's the proclamation of the watcher, right? Until he comes and finally acknowledges God is all powerful and the most high and, and above all. Um, so, so go from there. You can, I invite you to incorporate Daniel's, um, interpretation of that dream. I, I think this is a good time for that, but, but 
What do you What are your thoughts on that? You know, when uh, when I listened to, to to Nebuchadnezzar describe her dream, his dream here, for some reason, and I I, I still haven't I still haven't really figured this, and maybe there's nothing to it at all. The wording that that the wording that that Nebuchadnezzar that uses here, just let me let me uh, um, read this for you. Um, as he said, these are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. Um, I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Height was enormous. The tree grew grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Then here, its leaves. This is what this is what rings in my mind. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it. From it, every creature was fed. Do those words ring familiar to you from from any other part of the Bible? Well, I mean, almost to the point where where you're, I think you're you're starting to hearken. At least for me, it creates visions of creation, um, and right. and starts hearkening back to to creation. But it also starts hearkening back to um, it harkens back to the Hebrew mindset of the kings because we have, and you have that in Isaiah from the stump of Jesse, um, the idea of the overarching tree in the Kings of, of Judah being the protection that, that, that sort of was that image. Does this, does th- these words sound eerily familiar to me with Jesus when he's telling and and he's when he tells the parable of the mustard seed. Yeah, um, where it becomes so big, and yes. and then it covers and gives shelter to the 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 things in the garden. Yeah, and I, I and that's where, and I and I know that G, that 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 I know that that Jesus is talking about that. There's the thing where he's talking about the kingdom of God, and and I and and I know that that's that this here is. But it almost, I wonder, it makes me wonder if Jesus had some of these words in, of Daniel in mind when he was when he was teaching the parable. And does it give us a little bit of, I've never, and I've never seen any other a commentator, Bible commentator or teacher talk about this, but does it speak to us about the mindset of, the mindset of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar to where, He's almost looking at himself where he's looking at himself at the be all end all. And when Jesus is talking about the mustard seed, the parable of the mustard seed and 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 that and how it branches and, and all of this stuff and talking about actually being the church, putting us in proper perspective, you almost see it that the same illustration being used for two different for opposing viewpoints. And it shows us where where Nebuchadnezzar sits, and then it shows us, Jesus shows us where the truth is. And I like that idea that you brought up opposing um, viewpoints, because it's not as if we have, okay, my opinion, your opinion. What you have is is really um, this idea that, that Nebuchadnezzar, and I think this is a good thing to follow. You have Nebuchadnezzar who, who thinks that, that he is the God on earth, and that he is giving life to everything. And that he is he is sheltering and providing and doing all this for all these people, and I think this vision, what strikes at the core, is that he realizes he's nothing without 
the one who gives all things. And it fits to me that Jesus would use this kind of imagery because when you look at uh, um, how it, when you look at, at how history developed between the time of the captivity to the time of Israel, I mean, people are speaking Aramaic. Um, Daniel and, 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 and the captivity had such an influence on the Jewish people, on the Jewish people of the time and so forth, and all of that preparing for the coming of the Savior. This was just, it was just something that, it, 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 you know, once again, it just makes me wonder because it was, it was language imagery that the people were used to just from, from their last 300 year or, or 700 year history, 500 year or five, 600 year history. But it was just something in, in the culture. And so I, I, I don't know when I, when I read this, I just can't help. It takes me immediately when I hear that imagery, it takes me to Jesus parable. And I don't know if that's just me and I haven't, and, and I don't see it mentioned. I don't see it mentioned by anybody else. So maybe it's just the way my mind works. You know, and I don't think you're wrong to work that way because the Lord does often uh, connect to the, well, okay, I guess the best way to explain it is, is what is concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. And and I think that's a really good way of looking at it, where where some of these concepts that we're looking at in the Old Testament, um, they kind of look shadowed and like, how do we understand them and how do we interpret them and, and what connections can we make? And then all of a sudden we see Jesus and there's Jesus who who connects those dots. Um, and, and I think it's not a bad connection to see where, where one, you have, you have those opposing forces. You have Nebuchadnezzar who thinks I am the end all to be all. I am all this. And then you have this mustard seed created by God, sustained by the savior's blood, given by the spirit. And it grows to be the provider of all. If I was preaching on this text in Daniel, this is where I would bring Christ out in the text. All right, walk us through that uh, just briefly before we move on. And you just did it for me, and you didn't even realize you were doing it. Um, the mustard, the mustard seed of the mustard seed of the church, fueled by and fed by the blood of Christ, that grows, and and uh, and and beings and animals of all kind come into it and take shelter. That is all. I mean, that is that is Christ. That is His church. Um, that is the Lord ruling. And guiding and leading um, for the good of all people, his mission focused there in Christ, in complete opposition to the worldview of Nebuchadnezzar, the world and personal view of Nebuchadnezzar and every other unbeliever in this world. Yeah, and, and I think I would take it just a step further and say that you know the worldview and and the nation and the world in which Nebuchadnezzar wants to or thinks he rules is so easily dashed that's not that that even the holy of holies doesn't have to come down to do it himself he sends a watcher to do it and here and here's another one where i look at it making it applicable and the reason that we're studying that i that i'm tearing this book apart um theologically and i mean tearing it apart it to digest it and study god's word and apply it today is is that you know nebuchadnezzar greatest nation of the world at that time what doesn't matter, what Nebuchadnezzar and the nation, the, 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 the Jewish nation, the, the Babylonian nation doesn't matter. 
What members is what matters is Christ and His Church, and it comes back to the to the thing: the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Yeah. No matter no matter how much all the other stuff gets turned upside down, it comes back to the church is there. It grows and it thrives. Yeah, and, and I think that's important. You know, let's lead it. Let, let's lead it though back to um. Let's 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 pursue and and how because. Because when we, we were talking about why we're pursuing this is because of the climate in which we're living right now. It, it just seems all over the map, right? And and there's so many aggravations. And one of the things that I think I want to highlight, and uh, along with, and I, I love the gospel sections that we're getting, um, even in a place where we don't really think we're going to get gospel sections, we're kind of importing it a little bit. Um, one of the things that I think is awesome is you see, again, the the respect that Daniel has and in his vocational calling, he understands his vocational calling in the respect that he has for Nebuchadnezzar in his response. And the, and what I'm saying is this, he realizes Nebuchadnezzar is not a good man. I mean, you cannot not realize that. Nebuchadnezzar is kind of a schmuck. Um, you know, he he's arrogant, he's boastful, he is vengeful, he is not a nice person to be with. Um, and and yet, listen to emotionally stable. Yeah, um, yes, he is very unstable. Um, and yet, you know, this is what Daniel says. He said because he he hears the dream, he knows instantly what it means. God gives him that ability. He's afraid, and and Nebuchadnezzar says, "Don't be troubled. Just tell me what it is." And listen to what Daniel says. He says, "My lord, if only the dream were about your enemies." And it's meaning about your foes. I mean, you can you hear in Daniel's voice. I you know I might not like you as a person, but I respect what you what what God has placed you as, as as uh, as as government, and I wish I had better news. I mean, you'd almost think like you you would almost want to say it in Daniel's position. Ha ha! I'm glad to tell you this. You're gonna fall, but that's there's no arrogance in his voice. And God speed that fall coming. Oh yeah, twelve months. Within twelve months, he's going to be done. Um, but I, there's no arrogance in Daniel's voice. There, no. There's none. I mean, he's it's, it's almost regret. It's almost regret. How much? And thank you for bringing up that point. No arrogance in his voice. I just want to bring up. Uh, I want to bring up uh, uh, Christians on social media today talking about about political matters and things like these, no matter what side of the fence you're on, I don't see, I do not see, uh, I do not see an absence of arrogance in many of the political statements that come, or many of the statements that come from Christians, meaning well, but I don't see the spirit, I don't see the spirit of Daniel in addressing these things. Yeah, and and Daniel keeps. Uh, um, I mean, Daniel keeps appearing on the scene. Myself included, myself included, yeah. listeners. I'm not sitting here trying to burden your conscience. This is speaking to me because I, I'm not on social media, but in my private conversations, there air and I talk about these things. There's I don't speak in the spirit of Daniel, and this is the law is working on me here too. And and I'll be the first to admit I am I am overly sarcastic, especially when I do not like something. I become overly sarcastic, and and I shouldn't be that way. And so you know, but but what you see in Daniel, which is is unique, 
is not that he doesn't have an opinion and it's not that he doesn't have a thought in his head and it's not that he doesn't care because we're going to see later on that he does care and he does have an opinion and he does do what is right. But what he also recognizes is God has placed him within a framework that might not be ideal, but it's the framework in which he has been placed to work and to thrive and to to do something for God's people. And he takes that very seriously. And I think we've all we've all become double-minded in the sense of that. We've and here's what I mean by double-minded is we come to church and we confess to be sinners and we confess to be forgiven by the Lord and we say the Lord has freed us to be better and then we turn around and we say I'm better. As if all of a sudden me saying it made it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> no, uh, that, that you hit that that nail hit too close to home. I mean, but that's that's what we've done. We've said, okay, I've confessed my sins, I've received forgiveness. God says I'm better, so I go turn on. Guess what? I'm better. <laughs> Look at me. No, I I I mean, no. We come, we confess our sins, we we realize that Christ has forgiven our sins, and we go out into the world saying, you know what, I'm still who I was before. Um, it, the only difference is I'm forgiven. Um, and, and now I need to try, um, with God's help, to be better, to embrace what God has given back to me. And, and I think there is something there to that. And I think Daniel embodies this. Daniel embodies this idea of, I'm not any better than Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not any better than Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. I'm not any better than these other magicians and whatever else. The only difference is God's behind me, and and that's all I need. And it comes back to, again, life is about giving God glory, um, not myself. Yeah, which is the comment that's sort of been the running tre- uh, running trend through the entire book. Yeah. To, to yes. God be the glory. Um, and, and you see really in Daniel, Paul's words of a living sacrifice, right? Um, that, that, that this is a living sacrifice. He is, he is living in his vocational calling in this particular instance for, for God's people, for the Lord. You know, I mean, you look at, I, I'm just thinking, Daniel is not a book that is covered very heavily in the yearly in the in the in the lectionaries of the church, the readings for the church for the church here on Sunday, um, you know, uh, it, it would be neat to it would be neat to, to to hear to have a little bit more of an em, an emphasis on that. I don't know. I have to look into that a little bit more because I know that there's something I've been learning a little bit more about uh, it with liturgical worship and so forth. There's also um, um, there's something called the narrative lectionary that's out there that tends to follow um, for an entire year one gospel um, or so forth. You know, maybe that would be. There's just the reason. The only reason I just say this is there's just so much pertinent things in the book of Daniel, and I don't like departing from the lectionary because the lectionary is 
and has been and will be such a wonderful blessing to the church. I don't like toying with that. Um, but it would it, it would it would be nice to have a few more than just an, a, a couple occasional readings from Daniel at the end of the church here. Um, you know, it'd be nice to have a few more interspersed in the lectionary. You know, and we've had this conversation before uh, briefly. Um, but you know, the beauty of the lectionary is that we we throughout the season between at least especially Advent and um, the end of the Easter season, uh, right up to Pentecost. Pretty much the, the the people hear the the breadth and the scope of the gospel message. Here's the work of Christ on your behalf, um, and they need to hear that every year. Yep. Now we've we've also talked about that that there is a there is a vast lack of, and it's not because of the lectionary does it on purpose. It's just because God has given us such a richness in His Word that there that we would spend a lifetime gleaning from it, just pittance. Um, to, and, and, and that's amazing. But we look at that and we say, okay, there's so much in here that we could talk about. And, and we've talked about that. You know, what a great time to take a book and say, okay, we're spending the summer working on this. And, and we're going to, because that, you know, that whole season after Easter, the, after Pentecost, we're like, okay, we hit this stretch where we got a long stretch to go. And, and really we could take books like this and we could have conversations on, on, on chapters and and bring our people to this realization of here's what here's Daniel. But one of the things that I would say we have to be careful of, and here's where the arrogance comes in again, where we have to be more like Daniel and less like ourselves. It is so easy to pick things that we feel comfortable talking about. Oh yeah. And and things that we think we've done right or things that we think we have a handle on. But keep in mind, and I'm sorry for us diverging here too. But you get it's nice to share the mind, the pastoral mind once in a while, and that we struggle with the sinful nature too. We have that temptation just with the lectionary. I'm going to share this. I've been preaching for been preaching for 31 years, and I'm not saying, and I, I still don't think I've done it well. Um, but one of my one of my temptations here until for about the last five six years was this. I would take a look at the readings and pick out which one would I thought was easier for me to handle. And the last six years, and maybe some of this comes with some of uh, maybe a little bit of finally a little bit of wisdom of age. I said, I, I made up my mind. I'm not going to do that anymore for an entire year. I'm going to preach on gospel texts or epistle texts or old Testament. And I'm limiting myself to those so that I can't pick and choose I'm going to be forced to handle difficult sections of scripture when they come up. And that has been a great spiritual exercise for me. Oh, and I found, you know, to sit down and wrestle hard with something, you know, that's different and to get a handle on it, um, that that's a good thing. You know, one of the, one of the things that I've thought, and this is a, this is, and, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, because when you wrestle with something that you aren't comfortable with, you grow a little bit more, and and you're forced to to make uh, connections into it that you didn't have before, and, and it's a wonderful thing. <clears throat> but on, on the same side of that, and this is one of the things that I, I was going to bring up, is notice Daniel does the same thing. He doesn't want to give this message. This is not a good message. This is, this is a struggle for him. This is... <laughs> this is you know, it could go either way for for what he has to share with Nebuchadnezzar. Because before it was a statue. Oh yeah, here's the here's the course of, of future events. 
now this is going to be, um, this is happening to you right now. This is going to happen to you like right now, within the next couple of months, within a year. Um, and, and that becomes a, a harder thing maybe for Daniel, and, and he has to struggle with this. Before we move on, I just want to make a comment. You know, what kind of a benefit would there be? And I thought about this for podcast too, to do like a, a sermon after show. <laughs> <laughs> if you think about how much we 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 cut out of what we've studied throughout the week for our sermons uh so that it would be palatable for a 20 minute or 15 to 20 minute sermon um having a sermon after show most of saying now here's everything else that I can download into your brain <laughs> that I lived with with that whole entire week you know, that kind of fits the pattern of the Lutheran hour yeah kind of he, a little bit been, you know pastor Ziegler's been doing that where they do, he does a podcast um, where they spend, and you have people actually discussing the sermon that was preached. Yeah, yeah, where it's, yeah, let's take a minute to download this. Uh, yep. Finishing up the text, so we, we only got about 10 minutes left, and, and we've had a great discussion thus far, but we haven't got to the pinnacle of what happens. So here's the thing. Uh, Daniel, he says, um, here's how it's going to be. God's going God's gonna to cut you down, but he's going to leave a stump, right? And uh, so you're going to be brought back, whatever to the, to whatever degree God brings you back, you'll be brought back. But there's going to be a time when you're going to uh, be very animalistic, and um, there's debate as to what that that uh, iron and bronze ring is. Um, some people think that maybe uh, he had to be chained at a time uh, be, because of this this attitude. Um, Later on, we're going to see. Well, he he interacts like a like sheep and things and donkeys, and and they were sort of more free to 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 rove. And so maybe maybe it's more of the idea of of his place was secure, that they weren't going to take his his position away. So maybe that comes back to this idea that you had said at the beginning of the show. People were were gathering around to protect him, um, even when he lost his marbles. That, that people had gathered and, and they wanted to protect him and, and they still they still viewed him as the better alternative for for the king. Anyway, he uh, he he grows uh, he's he's standing on the top of his his palace and um, by his own admission he's gloating and saying, look at all the stuff I built and hey look at me. I am awesome. And as the words are falling from his lips, uh, the Lord strikes him. This is 12 months after this prophecy. The Lord strikes him, and um, he's reduced to that of a, the behavior of an animal. Uh, his hair grows. I don't know if it's just his hair in his head or hair in his body, um, but it becomes like that of the feathers, so it's matted, right? Uh, feathers, uh, feathers of a bird becomes very matted. His fingernails... Um, they grow to to really long and curly like the claws uh, of a bird. Um, walk us through what's going on. You see, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a quote from, uh, and actually, it's it that was actually a quote that that I heard it's from two of my one a college professor. The other seminary professor who happened to do a, a commentary on the book of Daniel. Um, and actually, I just was trying to quick look here to see who was the person who originally said it. 
Um, one of my, actually, I heard a professor preach a sermon on this. This was the theme. The wheels of God grind slowly, but they, ex they grind exceedingly fine. Um, and here we see them grinding quickly with Nebuchadnezzar. Um, I guess, you know, what I take out of this, what I take out of this, okay, the vision being fulfilled um, is the Lord taking down, uh, taking down Nebuchadnezzar from, uh, from the highest of highest pinnacle of arrogancy down to literally into the dirt, into the pit, um, where you have a human being that basically seems to have lost all his senses, eating grass, crawling around on all fours. Um, and then also that this, you know, where, where this disease and and there and actually there are documented diseases like this called like lycanthropy or boanthropy, um, with like this, and then and then the fact that through this experience, this isn't something like where when when Nebuchadnezzar does come out of it, he remembers it. Um, this is. Uh, uh, this is this is a humbling experience, a humbling experience. But then what gets to me to the point with this is he acknowledges that there is something greater than him, but he still doesn't acknowledge the one acknowledge who it is. Yeah. And, in, you know, the other thing, and we talked a little bit about how he has a very huge lack of of. Um, experience with God's mercy and yet he sees a bunch of God's mercy here. He yeah. he is sent into this idea, this delusion, this great delusion of of lycanthropy, boanthropy, um however you want to describe it. Um this disease of thinking himself as an animal and and it's like he remembers the actions. He's unable to come out of it. Uh, there may be a little bit some points of of lucidity where, where he is able to make a confession, because we're going to have that in here where he does. Yeah. Um, but he fails to realize that that is from a merciful God. Yes, it's it's just kind of like what we were talking about here previously, you know, just a few minutes ago. Acknowledging the sovereignty of God and affirming the justice of God are surely not the same as trusting the mercy of God for forgiveness. And, and, and so he's acknowledged the sovereignty of God. He's affirmed the justice of God. But this has nothing to do with all of that stuff is law. And would he, you say, would you, you know, and I would just, just I, would, I would probably just raise one, one comment or question in the usage of the terms that we're using. I don't know if he fully understood the justice of God as much as well as, as we would like to think. And here's what I'm saying. Justice without forgiveness is revenge. And oh, if he doesn't I, I, I mean, yeah. And if he doesn't understand that what he is receiving by being able to be brought back into his power or have let, moment let of throw, lucidity. Throw this, throw, throw, throw this out to you. Just in in just in just in today's legal system, let's leave religion out of it. Justice can be carried out firmly, fairly, without any forgiveness. Mm. 
but there is and and see this is where this is where I would beg to differ because our justice system is set up on a point that you pay your dues therefore earn forgiveness. Justice doesn't necessarily mean that 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 a sentence is going to be commuted. Well, I, that I, that's consequence. But yeah, yeah, but I mean, but don't confuse. You're confused. You're confusing the, the the two there. Justice means that there has been wrong, and there and that and then that person has been brought to justice, brought to account. That's basic justice, and that's justice in its narrow form. Don't. St- I don't think we're dealing with justice in its in its wide form here, which okay. covers all the things that you're talking about. And I would agree with that. What we're talking about here is justice in its narrow form. And I would agree with that. Yes. But you are absolutely right here, too. Uh, again, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had no clue about, 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 forgive, about forgiveness here. And really was since he didn't have a grasp of forgiveness was repentance really was there really repentance here well and i don't think there is in fact you see i mean his response to god his response to the most high seems to almost be like a petulant child god can do whatever he wants yeah you know um okay i acknowledge that god can do whatever he wants that's it's like my it's like my child looking at me after after disciplines handed out and saying, Okay, I'm going along with this, but if I could if I could take your knees out from right now and get by with it without getting killed, I'd do it. Right. Right. And and that's yeah. And and he understands, you know, he does make a confession near the end he says you know, all of his works are true, all of his ways are just, coming back to to maybe the narrow sense. Um, cause he definitely doesn't have an idea of justice in the wide sense in, in understanding that, that justice ha- has this idea of also forgiving in, in part of it. Um, so he's, he's very much a legalistic approach. I did this, I received that. I did this, I received this. I was arrogant to the point where I, I overstepped my bounds thinking I was God. I'm not God. He put me in my place. That's justice. We move on. Um, I'm here. Now I'm going to ask you the $64,000 question, my beloved colleague. All right. Uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes to a realization. God restores his his health um, and sanity, so to speak. Um, Nebuchadnezzar did not become a believer. What's God's, what was the purpose of this whole thing then? Um, that is a really good question. My reaction to it is this. My firm belief is that God was reaffirming to Nebuchadnezzar, be very careful how you treat my people. Be very careful how you think of yourself because you are not, you are a little man in a world that I control. And I'm not saying that God is 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 flaunting his muscle here, but he's kind of flaunting his muscle here. And and I think it's going to come up in the next chapter when he interacts with his descendant, Nebuchadnezzar's descendant, and he brings out the sacred things of the temple, and the Lord says, "Enough is enough." And I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. Beautiful answer. Let's not forget Daniel in this picture either. 
okay? Daniel, who's called in once again to interpret a dream and watch its fulfillment and so forth. This is a, re I view also view this, that this is a similar reminder to Daniel that this crazy idiot is God's servant. Right. And God is in control. This is God's servant and God and 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 this it, because I'm and again, I'm looking at it this way. And again, so many times and again, depending upon how you're looking at it from what time not to mean that that scripture can be interpreted in different in different in different ways, depending on what a person thinks or mindset or whatever. What I'm saying is this. You go through. You can you can see different things at different times as you're reading. It's it's just one of the blessings of studying scripture. Right now, I'm reading and I'm going through this book for the first time from a different from a different perspective in my life, where I'm looking for where I want to see God's hand, and as His servant and as a citizen, I want to keep my sanity and try to keep from doing things that are just utterly ridiculous and so then i look at then i now here i can see god using this with using this for daniel so saying daniel look i'm in control here this guy is this guy is is can can go off the hinges but when he goes off the hinges remember i'm running things i'm still running things if that makes any sense yeah, I, it does make a lot of sense, and I think that's where that that's one of the the spots of of hope and comfort. Um, one of the spots of hope and comfort in this text, and 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 actually, you've done me a great favor in in referring back to the tree, and seeing how the opposite of Christ's establishment of the church really is is beautiful there. But that's sort of an an implanting the gospel into the section. Um, I think there is. And it's not necessarily gospel, but there's hope for the believer in 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 really his words when he says, um, and it's just in, in verse 35, all of the inhabitants of the earth are considered to be nothing, and he does as he wishes with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. So there is no one who can hold back the hand of the mighty of the most high and say to him, what have you done? I, I think there's hope there. And and I and Paul, it's like Paul talks about that. Paul talks about so that no one is left without excuse. Yes, this shows God working, and here's gospel: God working equally as hard on everybody. God, God is not just doing this for Daniel's benefit. He's not just doing this for Israel's benefit. He is earnestly lovingly reaching out to Nebuchadnezzar here to bring him in. That's gospel. That is, God yeah. wants all people to be saved. Right. And and it's not necessarily saying it in those words, but you see the hope in it, right? Yes. God is going to follow his plan despite what we are going to do to screw it up. Yep. Um, and, and there is a beauty in that. Um, going back to Jeremiah, you know, I have plans for you to prosper, right? Um, th this is, this is, th there is a gospel truth in here. Um, even though you don't see it bearing any faith in Nebuchadnezzar, there is this idea that God is going to still pursue his plan. 
Um, and that, and what is his ultimate plan? Well, revealed to us in the New Testament. Here's my son, right? Here's what here's what I see in this too. And, and uh, forgive me for taking us up just in a little skewed direction. But you got God reaching out, earnestly seeking to save Nebuchadnezzar. And look at where Nebuchadnezzar cannot let go of his reason. He cannot let go of his reason and pride. And look where his reason takes him. It 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 it, it keep it it brings him it, it brings him to the brink, but it doesn't bring him to the Lord. And to me, this is something again a little side note that I see for anybody that says. I can think I can choose to make a decision to believe in the Lord. This is where our reason takes us. Yeah. And, it takes and, us in the same direction as Nebuchadnezzar. And and notice after such a wonderful example being made of his life, did you and, and this is just another bearing on you can tell this man was not did not come to faith. Because look at what he says, right? Um he says, after my reason had returned to me, my splendor and glory returned to me for the honor of my kingdom. Okay, maybe maybe there's still some hope. He then says, so my advisors and nobles looked for me and I was reinstated over my kingdom and I became even more majestic than I was before. I mean, the arrogance just astounds you because it doesn't end. I mean, he he just went through this. He acknowledges God. He says, yep, God, you're there, but look at me. I'm even better than I was. You know, let's face it. I pulled myself back up from the bootstrap with my bootstraps, and, and I've made myself even better. So I, I feel that is a... It's a direct indictment against Nebuchadnezzar and his... I mean, yes, he's saying... I get it. He's powerful. He can do whatever he wants, but I am still who I am, and and I'm not going to change that. Um, and, and I, I've, I've, I, it's sad, uh, and and it's it's, um, maybe it's just me, but it, but I think that's what Christendom in this nation has become. Um, this Chris, Christendom in this nation has become, look at God, He's all powerful. Look at God, He's all powerful. Instead of look at God. Um, he is all powerful, but he forgives you because he uses that power to bring you to himself. Um, and I think we forgot that last half. Um, I mean, you, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think the wider Christian church looks at God and looks at looks at Christianity, looks at God and says, "Do do 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 do." Otherwise, God is going to get you. Look at what He's doing to the nation. Yep. Instead of done, done, done in Christ, look at what God is doing for the nation. We can preach Christ. This brings up a whole other topic too, but it's stuff I've been talking, we've been talking about in the Bible studies I've been conducting at at, church, at, the, at my churches. Um, American, and I'm, I'm just going to talk about in the, in the broad spectrum of the Christian church, and maybe it's something else we'll have to do a podcast on sometime, American Christianity is a different breed. Um, if we, let's just say, let's just give the last three centuries as part of American history. American Christianity is a different breed of Christianity from the from the previous eighteen hundred years before it. Um, just for the simple fact, because a lot of people in our in 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 in, in, in a lot of people in in our society really 
it it's a uh, it comes back to that do 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 instead of done done done. And I'm not saying that that wasn't an issue in other eras of of the church in the previous 1800 years, but it seems to be endemic in American Christianity from two sides, from the Reformed side and from the from the Catholic side. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And and the 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 best kept secret, and and this is going to kind of confess my own bias, the best kept secret of the United States Christianity is Lutheranism. I, yes. I, I honestly believe it is one of the best kept secrets and, and Lutherans keep it a secret. And no, then let's clarify that confessional Lutheranism. Right. Orthodox Lutherans. Um, yes. And, and, and we keep it a secret. <laughs> um, but maybe we keep it a secret because we don't know as a church, we don't know the difference because, and, and you've, you've been there with me too to have those discussions that say, you know, we see it bleed in, right? We see those thoughts that we keep trying to push out of the church bleed their way into the church. Uh, pastor, just tell my loved one they have to come to church. Uh, that's law. Um, you know, or or pastor, just tell us what we have to do. Um, again, that's, that's law. Um, well, pastor, I have to have um, this. Tell me how to do it. Um, or... You know, it, it's never focused on on the gifts of Christ or, or it, it struggles being focused on the gifts of Christ. Um, so, yeah, that's another podcast that we can—I I wrote it down, and we can tackle that at some point when we're maybe done with Daniel. Um, but so here's where we are. We've finished four. I, I mean, we didn't maybe comment on everything. Um, dear listener, if you have a question on the, on the seven, uh, times pass, you know, as, 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 uh, as part of the interpretation, um, catch us up and we will try to explain it to you as best as we can. Um, there are some maybe other thoughts in there that you might have or questions you might have, but, but I think it, it, for me, I, I think we've got it pretty much wrong for, for some of the juicy tidbits, Anything else you might want to confront in it? Not at this moment, my friend. All right. Well, then, um, you know, today we talked about, uh, you know, talked about the humbling force of the Lord. And uh, I think next week we'll have a chance to uh, talk about the writing on the wall. Looking forward to it. Excellent. Excellent. Well then, thank you for listening, dear listener. And uh, Don, thank you for the wonderful conversation. And uh, we invite you to join us again as we gather around Daniel and maybe make some sense out of what's going on today in the world around us by looking back and saying, God, what do you have to say about it? Um, and, and how we're supposed to be. God's blessings. <laughs>